This is Angelina Jaspers, author of Marketing Flexology, How to Outsmart Change and Future-Proof Your Career. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine, Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Angelina Jaspers, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello, Douglas. It's so good to be with you again today. And where are you right now? Where are you quarantined? So in my home in Los Gatos, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going fine. No complaints. And you're doing okay. I'm doing fine. You know, it's a good, um, the good news is that I can do my work virtually. And uh, I'm, you know, it's just very, very fortunate that we are able to. And California has not been hit as hard. I think we really got um, the coronavirus under control a lot earlier than some of the other states. So still are able to do our hikes every day and, uh, but just a lot of social distancing. Oh, well, good for you. And I, and I have followed that in the news, and I've been so happy to, to hear that it hasn't been as bad in California as it has been, say, in the New York City area. So at the beginning, you told everyone the name of your book, Marketing Flexology, How to Art, Outsmart Change and Future-Proof Your Career. And for those who didn't listen to episode... 212, which published on February 1st, 2019, where we talked about your book. Let me remind folks that uh, you are a 30-year corporate marketing veteran, and you worked at uh, Fortune Global companies like uh, HP and Kodak. And as we talked about back then, you survived revolving door CEOs, business course corrections, and yep. lots of reinventions, which I think is very relevant to what we're going through uh, right now. And let's see, I, we also talked about how all of your vice presidential leadership roles, like in marketing and brand strategy, environmental sustainability, and corporate communications, absolutely none of them <laughs> escaped disruption. And you later, at other points in your career, you had to lead company-wide transformations. And so that sort of led to uh, your, your, your concept of this uh, career agility that you talk about. And what I wanted to reinforce, which I, I've, I've taught ever since I read your book, I've talked about it when I've given talks to others, like to marketing groups. And it is such a great book for anyone who wants a career in marketing, and particularly somebody who's 
who is in a career in marketing and, and is liking it, they're being successful, because your book, which was beautifully written, and I think it was only 149 pages, and it was one of the few self-published books that I've had, and I'm so glad it was on. And in the book, you talk, I'm doing all the talking here, but you talked about there were a few things that over the course of your career, looking back, you saw that marketers who did well and those who didn't do well, they had certain traits. And as I recall, because this was several drinks ago and and over a year that I read it, you, you talk about how they did have a certain flexibility. They, The really successful marketers all had a company first mentality rather than just protecting their own department. And most of interest to me, you talked about how the really successful marketers are the ones who continue to teach themselves, continue to develop their skills, they continue to learn. And this is at a time when companies are spending less and less on training their employees, but it's actually at a time where there's never been a better time for being able to learn a lot on your own. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, your your book had quite a <laughs> quite an impact on me. Yeah. No, thank you so much for for acknowledging that. And absolutely, now more than ever, agility matters. You know, I think it's, you you mentioned on one of your earlier uh, authors in quarantine uh, shows, I've been listening to many of them. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) they're awesome. I really have enjoyed them. So thank you for doing that. But you had said at one point, uh, teaching is the new pitching, which really hit me because I think you're absolutely you're onto something because it's no longer about just selling; it's about teaching. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, and then obviously we've all heard of you know sitting is the new smoking, or now it's really home is the new office or the mm-hmm. new gym or the new gym. And uh, <laughs> I think agility, you know, is the new stability. And so going back to what you said in the setup, uh, absolutely, I have seen whether it's a management change. Um, or a pandemic, you know, change happens. um, And it really change doesn't, a crisis doesn't change people. It really reveals them. Yes, yes. And I think it accelerates things that were already starting to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now, you know, you mentioned the business first mindset. And I think the, the, the leaders or the business professionals that are really putting their customers first, their employees first, they're obviously they're putting their businesses first because that's so critical for survival. But if you're thinking about what's in it for me or what's in it for my immediate team instead of what's in it for your customers, you know, you got it wrong. And to your point, the teaching is the new pitching. Yeah. And can you say a little bit more about this? Uh agility or this this flexology what are some of the traits because i just think that now even this week (laughs) your book is even more relevant yeah and i agree it's um what talk more about this 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 flexibility that that you saw over the course of your career the most successful marketers seem to have it and the ones that didn't um they they were lacking in this Yeah, absolutely. So that was based on a lot of these global transformations that I was tapped to lead for large, large corporations. And I saw how a lot of marketing leaders uh, manage their teams, their budgets, their agencies, their programs. And, you know, when times got bad, you know, their warts were exposed, right? And so marketing flexology is really a mindset and a tool set. And actually, the tool set is probably the easiest to convey or to teach or to put out there, which I have in my book and in other things, because it includes 
you know, a number of dials, you know, people, program, budgets, agencies, a number of tools, whether it's a messaging framework, a marketing playbook, executive dashboard. But the harder thing, which I found, Douglas, is so the tool set's easy to convey or to adopt, but the mindset, I think, is most revealing. Mm. Yeah. And not only is it the customer first mindset, but also the traits that I found, you know, being nimble, being lean, being accountable, very important, being effective and learning. And so this whole lifelong learning mindset, I think, is going to separate the winners and losers, not only, you know, in uh, regular change, but uh, as new marketers have, uh, come out of this, you know, after this pandemic is behind us, it's not marketing as, as usual, right? It's marketing as unusual. And we should all be really thinking about what the new consumer is going to look like because that's going to be drastically different than, than it was pre-COVID. But also what, how marketing needs to change. I think we've all gotten very good at virtual collaboration or bringing things online, uh, daily check-ins, all those things that are very, very critical. But um, at some point, you know, we're going to, customers are going to want to uh, make up for lost time. And then what are those longer term marketing strategies that we're thinking about now or should be thinking about now so that we're able to help them adjust or transition or advance, you know, in the new you know, the new normal coming out of this. And it's going to be very, very different. It's not just going to be going back to our old marketing jobs. It's going to be a whole different world. And I think that's what we need to prepare for and be ready for. How can marketers better keep abreast of, of what the new normal is going to become? Because I don't think we know just yet. No, we don't. We don't. So I think, uh, and in my book, I talk about, you know, it's no longer about art and uh, art and science. Marketing is no longer about art and science. It's about insight and agility. And I really do think that insight into your audience or into your customers critical. I'll give you an example. Um, I'm working right now for a, a company and I have for the last eight months, I've been an acting VP of brand. So, uh, uh, full-time on-site, uh, well, most recently, uh, not on-site, obviously remote, but as they bring a new, hire a new VP of brand in. And this company, which is very fascinating, their whole audience is small and medium-sized businesses, right? And so this is really the, you know, the economic engine of growth for this economy. So these are the ones that are on the front line, whether it's Main Street or Wall Street, you know, the small businesses are the ones, there's like 30 million small businesses in the U.S., this is, you know, the economic engine. This is the backbone of the economy. So I think the stimulus that the government is proposing um, or is offering and has now run out of funds, Douglas, is, as, <laughs> as we, we know, speak, yes. as we speak, you know, the pay, paycheck protection program and all the payroll protection program and all that, you know, very, very important to help that economic engine, um, you know, get restarted because it's going to be very different out of the other end, you know, things I'm not going as often, obviously try to support my local businesses by getting coffee or by ordering takeout, but it's not at the volume where it used to be. And consumerism really is just about dried up other than unless you spend all your day on Amazon ordering things. And I think that's really dried up. Although Amazon's doing very well, I must say. But, yes. I uh, just saw a headline today that said they may come out of this even stronger. 
Uh, yeah, amazing. But it's they're taking it from somewhere else. So the yeah. other companies are shifting that they're taking it, but it's shifting. So they're in the right place. But getting back to this insights for the company that I'm working for, what we said was, what are the needs, you know, of the small business owners, and how can we, instead of pitching, you know, or selling, you know, selling, you know, there's no appetite for that right now. How can we really be of service? So we engaged, uh, and we're doing a number of pulse surveys twice a week. 200 small business owners and really understanding, you know, where are their frustrations, where are their needs, what are their pain points, you know, how, how they're dealing or surviving really. And then offering in turn, that insight has able, enabled us to offer webinars, and online instruction and papers and, and policies and practices and support to help them weather it better. So that's what I mean by this real-time insight and then being able to have a nimble enough organization agile enough organization that you can turn on a dime to make this happen. So that's, that's really what it's all about, the insight and agility. And it seems like if marketers could only focus on one thing, if they could just observe and pay attention to and try to deeply understand their customers, that's going to be the most effective thing uh, they can do to help their companies. Yes, abs- absolutely. Yeah, this is not a time for selling. You know, it's really a time for thinking longer term, you know, and not the short term, you know, the quarterly sell cycle necessarily, even though I know we're all beholden to our, our shareholders. Yes. But yes. Uh, this is a time for long-term strategy and really long-term leadership, right? And I do think over time, those people who have um, provided a resource and a service and have been of service to their customers and to their employees, you know, are the ones that, that when we come out the other end of this, however that long that takes, they're the ones that are going to reap the benefits of it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of an investment now in brand and reputation and doing the right things. Right. So, uh, Angelina, there was uh, one section of your book, and I have to admit, I have decamped to my home. <laughs> and your book, along with hundreds of others, are still in the office. So I couldn't, ah. I couldn't look this up just now. But there was a study that you mentioned in your book from years ago where it further strengthened your observation about the most successful marketers are the ones that continued to teach themselves, learn. Mm-hmm. And do, do you recall more about what that was? It was, I think it might have been about CEOs, and they found out that almost all of them had that one particular trait as measured earlier in their career. Yeah, no, this is good. No, this was, I think it was Corn Ferry. I think this is what you're hitting on because yes. you, you, you mentioned it when we talked last time. And I believe they did like 2.5 million leadership assessments over mm. the past four decades. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was what it was. And they found that being learning agile was a key predictor of success. And it was a critical attribute of effective breakthrough leadership above intelligence, above education, uh, and even above leadership competencies. But yet they found out that only 15% of executives possess that trait. Mm. Well, let me just say that in addition to having the best looking audience in the world of podcasts, uh, the Marketing Book Podcast has got a lot of those kind of listeners. I am convinced. They're, <laughs> they're, I mean, they're, I've, I've met a lot of yeah. them and I've yeah. connected with them and they seem to be rather successful. And it always makes me think, oh boy, I better up my game here. But it's, I think it's very true. The fact that they're listening to a, 
a podcast, and this isn't the only one they have to listen to, but uh, where they're they're listening and learning from um, authors like yourself, it's I I, I think uh, there's more than fifteen percent of my audience <laughs> are those are those. Kind I of totally folks. agree. No, I absolutely. They're learning. They're learning from others. They're they're getting insight, right? And they're taking action, mm-hmm. and they're forming and they're forming in real time. This lifelong learning is so 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 important it's not just about ability anymore you know ability will take you to a certain point that's mm-hmm. fine but then the agility becomes more important and employ employability today means often means flexibility and adaptability and being able to pivot at a moment's notice that's why you know agility you know is the new um, is a new leadership competency in many cases and uh, particularly in marketing and and, and, and and whatever other fields are changing so quickly, it also brings to mind something that I heard one of the HubSpot co-founders talk about, marketing automation software, sales software, and they've been very, very successful. And it was Brian Halligan, and he was talking, I think he was asked about, what do you look for in employees? <laughs> and you know what he said? He said, you know, we don't look for know-it-alls. We look for learn-it-alls. In other words, somebody I like that. Somebody who knows how to learn things because yeah. when we hire them, we're not going to be able to tell them everything they need to learn. They've got to go figure it out on their own. They've got to learn these things so that we can help they can help our company and then they can help our clients. And I just, that really took me that. back to your book about learning. So I love and then, that. of course, when we uh, when we talked to Angelina, um, I had not been having a cocktail. But at the time, I said, when you do the second edition, um, just you know, put a little asterisk there and say uh, you might want to listen to the Marketing Book Podcast. But seriously, it is going to be in the forward. <laughs> oh. Is going to be Douglas Burdett must listen. Yes, yes absolutely. Yes. No, it's fascinating. You've done over 250 marketing books you've read. I mean, it's really, really amazing. And I love the little thing you're doing now, jokes you tell yourselves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, jokes I tell myself when reading these books. It's so funny. And yeah. for the listener, what Angelina is talking about is sometimes when I'm reading these books and I I get to read them all, and then I get to talk to the authors, which for this knuckleheaded podcaster is you know, kind of exciting. But when I'm reading the hard copies of the book, since it's almost always a hard copy, I'll be reading it, and some stupid joke will come into my head, as longtime listeners will know, that's one of my issues, and I'll just write the joke in the column of the book. And then I take a picture of it, and I've recently started posting them on LinkedIn, <laughs> It's, and, they're and it, hilarious. It, it reveals, I can really relate. It reveals a lot about you. <laughs> well, it reveals a lot about the people, the people that sense like of humor. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, oh, that's true, too. Yeah, what am I talking about? Yeah, I'm guilty <laughs> by association. Jeez. Yeah. So, well, and the other issue is, Angelina, I've got kids, and they're now in their 20s, and, you know, they're, yeah. they're really veterans of years of really stupid dad jokes. And so I'm able to channel some of that yearning, which I will never lose uh, into some of these jokes about what I, uh, what I post onto LinkedIn. But seriously, folks, there is, I've given a talk, you know, cause I've, I've been invited to give talks a couple places, you know, uh, chapters of the American marketing association and so forth. And I've given it like on, you know, three big ideas or five ideas from 275 books or whatever. And one of the really big things that I've taken away from so many books, which upsets a lot of people in the audience, but they ultimately come around, is that marketers have an image problem. And I talk about passages from several books where they say, look, whether it's true or not, that's not important. This is the perception 
they they have of marketers. And so now your book has worked its way into <laughs> where I, I show a picture of the book and you, and then I I, oh, thank you. I pull up a thank note you. card and I read passages from it, along with um, that particular section where I'm explaining that, first off, I explain that, you know, a lot of people think of marketers as arts and crafts, party planners, like you were talking about the art and science sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I've even got some research that, that of CEOs where it backs this up. And then- not leaving them hanging, I explained that several, well, not a lot, but some books like yours and the book, um, uh, The 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader by Barda and Barwise and a few others, uh, The Four A's of Marketing by uh, Jagdish Sheth and uh, Rahendra Sisodia. And it, uh, I talk about how they need to get into the revenue camp. And you need to understand how what you as a marketer do is connected to revenue. Mm-hmm. And there's books that explain how to do it. And uh, in fact, I gave this talk uh, last fall and I remember this one marketer came up to me and he says, man, you really got me thinking. Honestly, where I work, they think of us as the trade show guys. And yeah. it really got him thinking like, you know what we are doing, you know, there are ways that he can trace what they're doing to sales and revenue and all that sort of thing. But one of the quotes that I uh, cite from your book is that marketers, and, and you're not the only one that said this, but it hasn't come up a lot, marketers need to speak the language of business. And yep. in yours, you talk about accounting. They need to understand how to talk accounting. Can you, can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. So I, I really think marketing strategy is business strategy brought to life. So whenever, you know, and you're absolutely right about the party planners or the trade show or an event or people come and say, we need some collateral. And it's like, oh, my gosh, not again. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say things like, well, we've invested enough in brand. You know, now we have to really drive demand. It's like, okay, well, they clearly don't understand, you know, investment of brand and reputation and why that's such an important underpinning. But uh, the language of business, I mean, regardless of, you know, the black you know, the language or the acronyms or we have to stop speaking to ourselves and stop speaking about, you know, things like brand equity. I mean, that might be important or SEO or all of this key, key things that are important in our wheel well and in our tool house or in our uh, in our tool shed. But when we speak with with leaders and when we do the executive dashboard, which I'm a very big proponent of, mm. it's got to, it's got to be in the language of business, right? It can't be in our own speak. It, it has to be, and not just what we did, but why, and then with what effect. So it's like, I love, I love the saying, um, what, so what, and now what? So, so often when we report results, it's the, so uh, it's the, what, what we did, we did, 32 trade shows, we did this much, you know, it's a laundry list that you tick off of, you know, three ad campaigns, we did this many millions of impressions, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So it's so, but when the executives see that, they're saying, okay, should I laugh? Should I cry? You know, it's kind of (laughs) like, right? right? Yeah, like, oh, should I care about this? Say say that, what are the three, the three... So I learned this from a researcher, a a guy who uh, led customer research for HP when I was there at the time. And he said, it's not just what, but it's so what, and now what? Oh, wow. Was that, I don't recall that from the book, but it's been a while. No, I don't think so. I don't think I included. That is such great advice. Don't present anything unless you can answer, so what, and now what? Exactly. 
So that's kind of the insight, the context, right? So it's not just what, you know, I did this, 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 and this. It's so what? And then now what? Oh. You know, so that's why I love the the context. You know, did it go up? What are the trends? Did it go down? How does that relate to market share? How does that relate to, you know, competitive landscape or whatever? But if you can't answer those three, what, so what, now what? you're really left with people thinking it's marketing speak. And then no wonder why they come to us for a bunch of tactics because they don't really see how that you are speaking the language of business and how you're really translating it into something that's very actionable for the company. Amen, amen. And sometimes what I'll say when I give these talks, and I, <clears throat> again, it's a, I can, I, I, uh, in lieu of a midlife crisis a few years ago, I started performing stand-up comedy. And I'm, I'm, I'm all better now, Angelina. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but I, And I no longer perform, but I, I'm afraid a lot of it sneaks into my uh, – when I get to give a talk or when I uh, do these uh, podcasts. And let's be honest. I started doing this pandemic series just so that I could drink and tell jokes. But – my my uh my point is that there are what I say is that there are certain terms that I really don't think it's a good idea for you people to be saying around civilians. And when I say civilians, I mean your management or people outside your marketing department. Like until they understand, like you you just mentioned one about uh, you know activity or SEO or yeah organic uh, search organic. Do you think the, oh, we do you were, think the average person understands paid search, organic search. They really don't know. We were know? just and, updating a client last week, and we were doing this new approach to a an analytics review with them, and we made it really visual, and with I guess not articulating as well as you just did about so what and now what we were adding a lot of that in there for basically civilians and the, these are not stupid clients but this isn't what they deal with every day okay exactly. and we're too close yeah. to it so even then i mean even i'm i'm struggling with it but there are certain terms like you said brand equity brand branding uh storytelling these are all really important things for marketers but i don't think that they are helping themselves when they're talking about that with uh, civilians, you know, their sales to counterparts. Totally agree. I yeah. totally agree with you. Yeah, totally agree. And then, then you're not, and that's why so few, you know, there were invisible on boards, you know, of all the, what it was like 10,000 board seats held by fortune thousand companies, marketers only occupy like 68 of them. I mean, that's why we don't pr get promoted into, you know, those leadership positions on boards because they think marketing isn't a, they think of it as a soft science rather than really something that is very tangible. So that's why, you know, making it as tangible and quantifiable. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're not measuring the stuff within your department because all these things that we talked about, paid, organic, SEO, SEM, critical, critical to understand, you know, and make those adjustments real time to your marketing effectiveness and your marketing programs. But when it comes to presenting or speaking with your, your civilians, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to drop it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a professor at the University of Virginia named Kim Whitler, I yeah, believe. Yes. Yeah, I follow her on, on Twitter. Yeah. And she talks quite a bit about what you just mentioned about why there are so few board members who came up uh, through marketing. It's all tied into those things that I, I mentioned um, earlier about the the uh, the, the uh, image problem that marketers have. Yeah. It was yeah. just one other tip that you know, in, in terms of uh, it's Barda and Barwise uh, who wrote 
the 12 powers of marketing leader, and they talk about their exhortation to marketers is get in the revenue camp. Yeah. And that's where, and there was even another book on the show uh, that was one of my favorites. I know I say that about every book, but <laughs> I pick the ones that I love anyway. But you mean it. You really oh, mean it. Oh, I, I really yeah. do. And it was called, uh, it's called um, Rise of the Rise of the Revenue Marketer by Debbie Gagish. And uh, I I talk about that book as as well in the same section. And she says, you know, the marketers that are associated with revenue stay. The marketers who are not associated with revenue are asked to leave. Yeah. (laughs) She said it's as simple as that. And so, um, at any rate, I mentioned uh, Bard and Barwise, and they're the ones that say get in the revenue camp. And I even throw out a few, you know, uh, ideas just to help people to start to get there. And one of them is, you know, go back to your company or your CFO or whoever and and, and ask you know, who are our most profitable customers mm-hmm. and what's our, what's an average customer lifetime value. I, there's yep. so many companies that still don't understand that idea, which is, you know, if you keep a customer for X number of years and they tend to spend a certain amount each year, it always yeah, seems to open lifetime value. Yeah, that always seems to open their eyes when I'm talking to folks about gosh, I hadn't thought of it that way. I didn't realize we were <laughs> we we're, were basically getting annuities uh by by acquiring these customers and and also, you know, like what what are our business goals? What are our revenue goals? Um mm-hmm. more often than not the marketers I speak with don't know that or maybe they haven't been told or their company doesn't know, but even if those don't exist at your company and to you marketers. I know this is a real soapbox kind of episode and I'm sorry, <laughs> but to you marketers, don't wait to be told that. Go and ask. It'll blow away your management. That, that's my sense. Yeah. Well, doesn't Brian, um, Simon Simic say start with why? You know, so, you know, and you have to do that in a graceful way when you're being asked to produce all this marketing stuff. You know, you have to gracefully say, you know, well, what are we trying to accomplish so that you can really get at the heart of the matter, right? Yes. And keep asking why. And maybe by the fifth why, (laughs) without being annoying, you know, you'll get to the real essence of the problem that needs to be solved. And then, you know, you produce the best marketing work, of course. Absolutely. And I think you start to future proof your career as as your the subtitle there of your you book go. that's just there one of the go. ways but um there was and I'll I'll stop now okay but <laughs> there was this one study by the Fornays group in London a few years back about perceptions of marketers by CEOs and in that particular study it was found that 80% of CEOs didn't trust their CMOs which meant that they didn't trust that the marketers understood the financial realities of their companies. Yep. And so what I'm always trying to encourage marketers to do is ask some of those questions, get in that 20%. And just starting to find that information out, there, I I think they're going to look at you differently from yeah. all and the I marketers. Bet, and I bet that same study finds that just uh, only uh, 10% of the same CEOs feel that same way about their CFOs or the CIOs. You know, <laughs> I think it does. I think they, it, yes. Right? They have right? enormous confidence uh, yep. in their in their financial people. Yep. So there was a uh, author on the show, uh, Pam Didner, who's a friend of mine. She wrote Sales Enablement. And she wrote uh, a book about international content marketing. And what's interesting, uh, one of the main things that's interesting about her is she – got her start uh, she studied in accounting and finance she was a uh, she worked at KPMG 
<laughs> for years. And I said, you know, you're a marketer. And she moved into marketing later, you know, after she'd been working for a big tech company. I think I want to say Oracle, but I'm not sure. I said, you of all people should write a book about finance and accounting for marketers. <laughs> to help, yeah, that's to, a good idea. To yeah. help them. And as a matter of fact, yeah. did, I think I introduced her to you, didn't I? You did. And I've spoken with her offline oh. separately. Yeah, we had a nice chat. Oh, oh good. Prob- yes, it was probably, your book. It was your probably book. Probably a half year ago. Yes, yeah, that so. got me. I said, oh, Pam, you've got to talk to Angelina because this book has to be written. And I showed her that passage from the book. And yeah, man. Angelina. No, that's, no, that's great. I appreciate you introducing and we follow each other. So that's awesome. Oh, that's but good. you know, and speaking of that, you know, the accounting and the finance thing, you know, nearly every business function there is, has a generally accepted um, or legally mandated standard for reporting results, but marketing doesn't, right? So hmm. if you go from company to company, they all have different ways of reporting the results. And that hurts our ability to really compete on an equal footing for continued investment. Well, now that's interesting. Um, to the listener, I say, pardon me while I brainstorm another book <laughs> for Pam Didner, but I'm thinking yeah. maybe she could introduce that concept in a book. It's almost like the the GAP, the GAAP, the Generally Accepted Accounting yes. Practices yep. in the yep. accounting world, which is very important. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, Yeah, and, and Edward Bernays, you know, he's the, the grandfather or whatever, uh, the founder of modern-day public relations. Mm-hmm. He's long gone, but he was really uh, – when I, I went to school and studied journalism, public relations and all that, and uh, he was one of the people that I read a lot about. And he had dedicated a lot of his life into finding a standard reporting mechanism for marketing and sales. He didn't achieve it. You know, but I, I know that was one of the things that he said, sales, legal, operations, finance, they all have standardized reporting that's generally accepted, legally mandated. How come marketing doesn't have it? So maybe she could read uh, read up on Ed, Edward Bernays, pick up where he left off. Yeah. And, uh, was and start a movement. And start a movement. Yeah. I'd join yeah. it. I think <laughs> me too. Well, you can see what your book did. It got me on the phone with uh, other authors. And uh, so anyway, do you, you don't have any more... Uh, books in the works do you well you know so i'm thinking i should do a trilogy now, i haven't told anybody this yet so now okay. of course i'm telling you and i won't tell anyone thousands of others yes of people in about 150 something countries right yeah exactly exactly but you know i really love this whole agility this this marketing agility and the framework that i developed was really about marketing laying a marketing uh, efficient effective marketing foundation within an organization as a marketing professional. But, you know, I'm gravitating a lot toward three things, you know, two other things. You know, one is career agility, which is part of marketing agility, right? Because mm-hmm. you can see. But the other one is brand agility, because I'm finding a lot of brands aren't agile enough to really. Uh, so I'm thinking, you know, here's the marketing flexology, brand flexology, and career flexology. I don't know, but the trilogy, I would think. But I'd love to, once I'm, you know, finalize the assignment I'm on and get a little bit more, a um, um, little bit more free time. I really do want to start writing again mm. and um, and doing research. I really love that type of work. I just have put it on the back burner, unfortunately. But uh, I think brand agility would be a very interesting topic as well, because uh, companies today, you know, and to come out of this new normal, you know, how do brands have to adjust to really deal with the new the new consumer that's coming out? Uh, the other end of this. 
So yes. that's just toying around in my mind. And I, I uh, footnote, not footnote, I capture different links where I see articles that resonate with me and I put them in little folders. And how about you, Douglas? You said that you, uh, you, you've written, you've read so many books, you reviewed so many, but you said that, um, is there a book in the works for you too? No, I'm too busy reading them. To write there, one. You um, there you go. There you go. I don't. Maybe I could. I don't know. I, I remember Ryan Holiday in his book uh, Perennial Seller. He went back and studied what makes something a perennial seller, which is actually a book term. You know, you see the bestseller list, and it says does not include perennial sellers. And he went back and studied uh, not just books, but like plays and bands and restaurants and all kinds of things that just were perennial sellers, which meant that they kept selling more and more every year. They just mm. kept going. And he really studied what was it that they had. And I remember in that book, he talked about how there are a lot of people that like the idea of being an author, but you're, you're, uh, the way you know you're an author is there's something that's tormenting you and you, you can't get rid of it until you've read a book, written about it in a book. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm not, I'm not tormented like I should, but maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe I, uh, I, well, I, you could, I could, you have, you have such real world, knowledge you know just you're so well read and so well you know the conversations you have on an ongoing basis i mean you really could you're a fountain of marketing wisdom quite frankly well thank you i appreciate that um i joke and say if i were smarter i wouldn't need to read so many books but yes i'll I'll, uh (laughs) this is a time of great reflection everybody is kind of rethinking everything you know we're already making changes to our business and it's almost like a lot of businesses and people have permission to rethink uh, assumptions and and uh, what they're doing. So mm-hmm. that would be interesting. There um, to the listener again. Pardon me while I network just a bit. Do you know David Ocker? He's in your area. Yes. I just uh, published my second interview with him, and he is cons- he's wild widely hailed as the the father of modern branding. And yes. uh, he writes. I just uh, published an interview with him about a, his newest book about subcategories Uh, and his books are all about business strategy it's it's, although it's about branding it's not about logos it's about uh brand strategy Mm -hmm. and he talked about in his latest one uh about subcategories he says in the digital age these really fast-growing companies very successful they all came out of becoming sub brands rather than Hmm. trying to create a new category Uh, interesting so yeah it was really and it was very well done. And he's written, um, gosh, he's been writing these Oh, phenomenal- he's been writing for years, yeah. Yeah. He's a buddy of Philip Kotler, just to give ah, people okay. <laughs> idea. I, of- I just read something. Uh, he just published something. on. It, it was in my LinkedIn feed from Philip Kotler today. And he was talking about the consumer post-COVID. And it was oh, very oh, fascinating. Yes. Did you did you see it by chance? I he saw. Was, yeah, I didn't. Who was it that shared that? I, I think it, it was Jagdish Sheth, who I mentioned earlier. He shared it. I'm going to go back he, and find it. I would love to be able to uh, get Doctor Kotler on one of these cocktail calls because I've interviewed him twice, and it was oh wow. After that, I was thinking, boy, I I, I could almost stop this podcast now because I've, I've interviewed the 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 father oh. of modern marketing. Oh, absolutely. Oh, he's a fascinating person. Oh, but yeah. it, it, this was very interesting because he was talking about uh, post-consumer, the cons- consumerism post-COVID. And he was saying that, and I'm doing this from memory, of course, but he was saying that the consumers, uh, like you said, this is a great reflection point for people to take stock and to see what they value and what they need and what they don't need 
right? And yeah. so he said the consumer is going to be very, very different, which means, of course, marketing has to be different moving forward. But he's predicting not only from the climate, you know, um, but and reuse, recycle, you know, that whole movement of being um, – environmentally uh, aware, but also not producing as many things because we don't need 3,000 pairs of shoes, right? Like the the first lady of the Philippines had at one point, remember? <laughs> yes, uh, Imelda Marcos, that's right. There you go. There and you and go. what you're talking about also ties in with uh, several books that have been on the podcast. All Again, all these, all these authors seem to be where you are. Um, Subscribe by Teens Woe and uh, the uh, Membership Economy by Robbie Kelman Baxter. And I her interview about her new book, uh, The Forever Transaction, is coming up in a week or two. And then Subscription Marketing by uh, Ann Janser. Yeah, so that's um, they talk about how people just don't need as much stuff. And yeah. it's more about experiences and. Uh, it's fascinating. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find that article about uh, Dr. Kotler and the post uh, consumers in the post COVID era. And I'm going to include a link to it along with links about you in this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. Oh, did you register as a domain name? Yes, already? I did. did well, you buy it. Good for you. Yes, I, I did. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm trying to make it easy for my listeners who who may in fact be drinking while they're listening to this. Uh, marketingbookcocktails.com, and all that does is it sends you to the section of our agency website where just this uh, these cocktail episodes are. I, I will continue to do the 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 real uh, serious <laughs> the real interviews uh, once a week with authors where I've talked to them about their books, but this is just a hopefully short lived series, and I didn't want to clog up the the pipeline with the other ones that uh, probably have a much longer um, shelf life. So, Angelina, thank you so much for the uh, opportunity to catch up with you again. I guess, uh, did I mention I loved your book? And I oh, no. Did you Do you really like it? <laughs> well, thank you. you no, you've been you've been phenomenal. You've been a great supporter, and I really, really appreciate it. You're so easy to talk with as well. Well, yeah, and, that's, uh, that's just the, a pleasure. Even though alcohol. you're not doing stand-up comedy, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, thank you for joining us on uh, authors in quarantine getting cocktails, and I hope that you continue to stay uh, healthy, safe, and sane. Same to you, Douglas. All right, everybody. Last call. 